Hi, you entrepreneurs. Today we have Ryan Landigwin. She is a speech language pathologist and the CEO of RL Therapy Group. She has about 60 some therapists uh, underneath her brand. But the real story is when she first started, she was a first grade teacher. Thought about it, that this is not where she wanted to be after a couple of years of being in that, in that field. Went back, got her master's degree on the side. When she had her second child, the child was six weeks old, decided, hey, what's a better time to actually start your company? That's when she started her company and slowly started growing, expanding, and is has the team and company that she has today just by just by growth and keep pushing through. Take a listen, please subscribe, and of course, tell your friends. Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. A couple weeks in the making, you've been sick, the coughing, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, let's let's just dive deep into this. Cool. So, you're a speech language pathologist and owner of a RL Therapy Group. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about what you guys do. So we are a pediatric therapy company. Um, we provide speech, occupational, and physical therapy to children ages birth to age five throughout San Diego County. And then um, more recently, um, even beyond that, and we're servicing children up in Northern California and working on even getting out of state. Wow. So one thing that, that really caught my attention was the idea that you started this business when your second child, you said, right, yeah. mm-hmm. was six weeks old. Yeah. <laughs> like I first saw it and I was like, I thought it was six years. And then I, I, I was like, oh, six weeks old. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I was antsy, I guess. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like that's a, that's like the idea of is it really excuse or, you know? Well, definitely it was a little bit of fire underneath me. Um, I kind of had a little bit of maternity leave to sort of like use that as my opportunity to just kind of get moving and talk to my husband about it. And he was on board with, I think I just, because I was working for a school district at the time. So Mm. they given me like three months, I believe. And I I think I pushed it to six months, extended it. And I just said, you know, I'm going to give it my all for six months. And after six months, I think I'll have a good idea of whether I should keep going or go back to what I was doing. So did any of your colleagues know that you were starting your business when that happened? Some, some, yeah. Because it's a nice parachute right there, having that that, that, uh, maternity leave. Yeah, yeah. So I knew I had something I could fall back on, which was nice. Um, And being off, I knew, like, in terms of our family, I just needed to really pay my student loan bills. Everything else, you know, we could get through with my husband's income, thankfully. So um, that was my initial goal, was just pay my student loans and, you know, be home with my kids as much as I could. So so walk me through where this all came from. Yeah. Have you always had this idea to be a speech pathologist at a young age or? Well, so actually um, coming out of uh, college, I was a teacher. I taught first grade. Um, I taught for three years and I basically said like, I'm never coming back. I'm getting out of the school system and I give teachers a lot of props. It was it was a lot of work. It was um, just emotionally draining, physically draining. Um, I taught in a different state. I won't say what state, but um, so it was probably different than you know what 
what, what the structure is. What grade were you teaching? First. Okay, first grade. Yeah. So um, it was just it was just difficult. There wasn't as much support as I probably should have had. Um, so I looked into other fields, and speech pathology just kind of caught my eye, and I was like, this is it. This is what I want to do. Um, Speech is a really broad profession, meaning you can work in a skilled nursing facility, you can work um, in private practice, you can work in the public schools, early intervention, like what I'm doing now. Um, It's hospitals, it's really kind of endless. So I knew that I wanted to get into a different field and I knew I wanted to work with people, um, but I didn't want to go back into the school district. So went back to school, got my master's degree. How how long, how long did you Go back, like, did it take you from actually starting um, work to actually going to school? I think yeah. it was like another, because I was going part time. Yeah. Um, so this is like another four or five years. Okay. So, you, you, so, you're, so you're working for four or five years and then you went back into schooling or? Yeah. Okay. No, I'm sorry. So I was working for three years, okay. then went back to school, then it was five more years of, okay. yeah. Did, did you, t- I mean, that's always something that interests me when you go into that profession, mm-hmm. right? Did you talk to other teachers and say, well, you see someone that's 20 years and you start envisioning yourself being in the 20 years, start talking to them or? What? I probably should have done a little bit more market research. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I did observe the speech pathologist who was okay. at my school at the time. And she was amazing because she kind of talked to me about the other avenues and all the okay. different things that you could get into. Okay. So one thing I remember really loving about being a teacher was working with small groups. Mm. And really, you know, I would come in early and we would do reading groups with my struggling readers. And I really got to see when I worked intensively with a small group, I got to see a lot more progress. Okay. Um, and I think that that was my initial buy-in to the field of speech is just being able to work with smaller groups, not, you know, a traditional class size of, size of 20, 25 kids, um, but just really being able to intensively focus on each kid's individual goals and then seeing the progress of, of working on those goals, um, you know, as much as we could. So talking to the speech pathologist at my school, learning about, I remember at the time she worked in a skilled nursing facility after she worked at the school, um, and just learning about the different avenues and different settings. I felt like, like to your point, um, burnout was avoided because there were other settings that you could, you know, if you're working in one setting and it was getting old, you could try another setting in that field. Whereas as a teacher, you're a little bit more limited. So you go back to school. Mm Mm-hmm. It was just, it was a, are you a big person, like love learning, love schooling? Um, to a degree, okay. yeah. I mean, I won't go back to school again. I'm good. I'm all set there. I checked that box. But yeah, I, mean, I think going back as a non-traditional, um, you know, being in my 20s, yeah. not as a crazy college student who just wants to party, um, I learned how I learned, so everything seemed easier. Um, Did you pick up more, you think, information? Yeah, yeah. I think you, when you go back as, you know, an older, older, more mature person, yeah, things come a little bit more well, easily. I, one of the crazy statistics that I, that I heard a while back was the idea that you only remember 20% of what you actually learn in college. That's crazy. Like, yeah. do you like do you feel that, per- if you had to put a percentage on what you learned when you went back for your, your master's, like, what was that, like, 50%, 60%, like? Um... I would say the the stat is probably pretty. (laughs) It's funny because when you go to school for your master's, you really learn all about like anatomy and physiology and you learn about diagnoses and and things like that. But you really don't learn a whole lot about how to treat 
the kids or the population that you're working with. So you get thrown into your clinical fellowship, which is after you graduate, you do one year of a a fellowship, which is sort of just you have a mentor who works with you weekly. Um, And I was so lucky to have two amazing mentors. Um, So fast forward, I actually went back to the schools (laughs) and worked in the school district um, after saying that I wouldn't. But um, I did as a speech pathologist and like I said, I had two amazing mentors who really just helped support me throughout the year. Um, and, but I always had that like kind of nagging thought in my mind, like I, what else is out there? Like what else could I do? Um, beyond, you know, I, I like the idea of being able to kind of control your destiny, kind of control your hours, control how much you're going to make. I didn't like looking at like a set scale, knowing that at year 15, this is what someone's going to tell me I'm going to make. Um, I wanted to have more control over that. So for your, when you had your first child, Mm -hmm. were you already out of your master program? I just finished. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, cause you're with when you're teaching kids, right? Yeah. You have a short window, you can teach them. But when it's yeah. your own child, you probably you mean have a lot more time. Did you see any kind of difference of learning of, of how you were teaching other kids when you were dealing with your own kid or anything like that happen? Um, well, at the time, because I was in the school district, I was working long hours yeah. and, and it was really hard for me to, you know, yeah, come home and, and give your kid your all after yeah. you gave 30 something kids it's your right. all. Yeah. Um, yeah. But But then again, when it's your own, you kind of like, you find something inside of you deep, deep, deep down and that just gets you through. Yeah. Yeah. So, so walk me through. So you had your, you had your first child. Mm -hmm. You're, are you still in the school district at that time? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you had, you're on your way for your second child. Yeah. Now you're in the pregnancy process. Yeah. Are you starting to put the pieces together that you're going to be starting this business or? I was starting to think like I'm going to just dabble in the private and just okay. see what kind of happens, you know, after I have my daughter. Um, at the same time, my friends are having babies and they're having, you know, who are growing into toddlers. The kids are starting to speak. Um, and a lot of people just would come to me naturally. You know, we'd be at the playground and they'd ask me questions like, so-and-so's not doing this. What should that look like? So-and-so's not doing this. And I really found a passion for using not only like what I know as a speech pathologist, but what I know as a mom and a speech pathologist um, and giving tips and suggestions to my friends on how to develop their child's speech and language skills. So with that kind of knowing that I wanted to go into private practice and then knowing that this is something I really loved was giving my friends tips and strategies. I really started to think about, you know, focusing my private practice on the early intervention population. So when we say early intervention, it's really zero to age three. Um, preschool populations like four or five. So at the time, yeah, my son was three. My daughter was a newborn baby. And um, I really kind of focused on creating a class, which I call Talking Tots, um, hosting a class for parents to bring their child kind of like a play group um, where I would just teach a strategy of the week and I would demonstrate it using toys and then the parents could then use the, the take the toys and work with their child and using that strategy and then I would kind of walk around and provide feedback. So it's sort of how it all kind of catapulted is I just found this like love and this burning passion for working with parents and um, started the class and kind of went from there. Was there, 
how much leveraging of your children was happening? Because <laughs> he's like, you're dealing with a lot of parents, a lot of family or friends that have yeah. kids too. Yeah. And you're probably going to these play groups yeah. and you're like, hey, here's my card. Yeah, that- yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, the best way to get into like a mommy group is to be a mom. Yeah. Um, so they don't just see you as like a business person, but yeah. they see you as like someone who's, you know, in a similar space position as they are um i also used my kids to like take a lot of videos and i did a lot of facebook videos and instagram a little bit of instagram at the time um so yeah they may come back and ask for royalties (laughs) or something at some point (laughs) so you you start building it out when did you know that you had to start bringing on like a team start bringing on admin prepping another therapist um so once the talking tots program kind of started to kind of pick up some speed so I remember it kind of in like a timeline. So it was August 2015 when I started with the Talking Tots program, started doing free screens, um, working with the San Diego Regional Center, who is the state's early intervention agency. Um, They started then kind of slowly giving me more referrals or parents would take the class and then go to regional center and rec- and request me. Um, so started that in August and by December my caseload was full. Mm. So then at that point, um, and I have had a friend who has been with me since day one, um, who at the time when I first started thinking about starting this business, um, her and I were just at the playground and I kind of told her this is what I'm thinking about doing and she had a business degree and she was like well I'm home with a couple kids and I need something to kind of stimulate my brain I'll help and so she's been like an amazing part of of the growth that that we've seen um but so I remember having a conversation with her in probably December January just saying like well we can't turn away these cases now that like I'm full what should we do now? And we just said, let's just put an ad out on Indeed and just see what happens. Jumping, I'm, jumping back for one second sure. with the idea of the referrals that you're getting referrals. I'm always interested because mm-hmm. it was a it's mm-hmm. an entity, right? That was giving you the referrals. Like a, sometimes, yes. Okay, yeah. So let's say what now you're doing a great job, and so that, that's the idea that you're getting the referrals. Mm-hmm. Was there any kind of like? that if they do me right, I'm gonna do like a referral thing, I'm gonna give them cookies or anything like that, or was there any kind of give back? Um, I tried, okay. I tried because it's a state um, yeah. agency. It's, yeah. They were a little funny about like, you what know, you um, yeah, I asked if I could bring that. Um, for the most part, I felt like if you provide what they need to service, mm-hmm. because they're very overwhelmed, they have really high caseloads, they're essentially like social workers or what they call service coordinators who are managing really high caseloads. Uh, but if you're keeping their families happy and you're you know, giving them the paperwork that they need on time and the families are reporting back that you, know, you have a really great relationship with them, you're easy to work with right so they're gonna keep sending do you remember how you got that first referral from i um went to the orientation and asked the man who was hosting the orientation if i could bring flyers And he said yes, and so I came back the next day with a stack of huge flyers, and he put them in all of their mailboxes, and then um, just as they would trickle in, I remember I wrote on the flyer, like, I will go anywhere in San Diego County. And, I mean, you know, San Diego County can go as far south as, like, Imperial Beach um, to Oceanside, and I did that. I 
I just hustled. I just went everywhere and anywhere. And I remember doing everything I could do not to turn away a case. And when you do that, you turn on service coordinators in all different regions who now know your name and want to keep sending you. Did you ever think or even question the idea of like, what if they say, no, I can't give the flyers at the event? No. No, I had this weird feeling. I remember making a phone call to my dad, who my parents owned a business my whole life growing up, and um, it had a little bit of a sour ending, so so they had a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth. But um, I remember calling them and telling them, this is what I decided to do. I decided to leave a very secure, well-paying job to kind of go off on my own. And I just remember they had all these doubts and questions and Oh, maybe not doubts, but questions in their mind. And I just knew, like I knew 150% that if I just tried everything and gave it all my all, that it couldn't not work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you had the conviction, right? That yeah. Was, that's, that's a part of it. <laughs> so, okay. So you put the ad on Indeed. How was mm-hmm. the response? Based on that? Um, It was hard. It was hard. There's, you know, our... Our occupation is really high in demand um, and it's competitive in terms of pay and, you know, other things. Um, But I kind of like looked to see, you know, what would be competitive pay. And I just kind of thought. How did you find what competitive pay was? I searched. I talked to other therapists who were doing similar things and kind of saw like what would be a good hourly rate to offer. And I kind of went a little above what everybody else was offering because I just felt like I really don't have any overhead. I don't have office space to pay for. You know, at the time they were contractors, so I wasn't paying them mileage or anything like that. So um, I offered a competitive rate. And then um, they just slowly co- started coming in. And, like, therapists are friends with therapists, right? So they, if they were happy, you know, getting a few cases here and there, they would tell a friend, and then the friend would come on. So as a speech pathologist, I brought on speech pathologists for the whole first year. And then it was January of 2017. I was like, okay, what's next? So then I met up with one of uh, a, an occupational therapist that I had worked with in the past and brought her on as my lead occupational therapist. And I said, like, all right, 2017, we're going to bring on as many OTs as we can. And we did. And then the following January, I don't know, January seems to be my month. Like, <laughs> So then January 2018, like, what's next? Let's do PTs. So brought on PTs and... Hmm. So, and then now you currently have how many? 60-ish. I don't know. At least, I think last time I counted it was 60. Yeah. So, with individuals that you brought on, what Mm -hmm. kind of training did you have to do for them? What kind of, like, management do you have to do? Because now... You're, you were a teacher before, so yeah. you were managing kids, right? right? And yeah. now you're managing business and other therapists. Yeah. I, there had to be some kind of transition that happened there, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, probably one of the m- most difficult things that I've had to go through is just learning the business side of things and being confident in my business skills. You know, I have two degrees, none of which did I take one business class in, which I totally regret. Um, but yeah, I had to kind of, 
find these things out for myself, either learning the hard way or reading books, listening to podcasts, being part of a business group, um, whatever I could do to sort of like gain that knowledge and, and figure things out as I went. Um, it was the hardest, but probably also most um, like rewarding part. So, so initially just hiring people, all I really cared about is that they shared the same passion as I did, which was empowering parents and caregivers to kind of take control of their child's development. So every single person that came into the organization started with an interview with, with the lead therapist, and then they went to me. Um, and if they shared that passion, then they came in. Yeah. <laughs> I've learned now, you know, there's more questions to ask, but initially that's what it looked like. What do you think your top five questions that you've learned to ask someone? Can you narrow that down? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I would say like, what do you believe um, is what progresses a child when, when they're delayed? Um, what do you believe is like the greatest element or agent of change? And basically I'm looking for them to say that it's the parents, mm. that it's the parents who do it and not us. We're not the heroes. And so you give the parents the tools, basically? Exactly. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Um, I always ask, I like to ask, like, what do you do for fun? Because it actually tells me a lot about them. It tells me a lot about, like, their motivation. It tells me a lot about... Um, do you go Facebook stalking, too? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. You have to. Nowadays, like, you just you have to do a quick search. There's times where, like, I know that they're coming in, and I haven't gotten to the search yet, but I just see... <laughs> so has there ever been a moment? It, I mean, it seems like it's been pretty fluid, even with the mm -hmm. struggle of, of building this business. Has there mm -hmm. been any kind of moments where you're just like, I'm not sure if, if I should go back to the, the safety of... Yeah. Oh, there's so many times where I just like being a barista at Starbucks would be so <laughs> stress free. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I joke around with everyone sometimes and just say like Starbucks is hiring. <laughs> <laughs> what what brings but, you out of those moments? Like what 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 pushed you? Is there a big why? What's that? Um, I, I read somewhere, heard somewhere that like um, a, a leader never has two good days in a row. Hmm. And I think just like acknowledging that, that what you're doing is hard work. And if, if it wasn't hard work, that everyone would be doing it. Um, so those are things. But then more recently in the past like year and a half, we've brought on a leadership team. And I've discovered a new passion of mine, which is really watching the leaders like helping lead the leaders and then watching the leaders sort of evolve. So just an example, like the other day, one of them called me and, and they had to have a difficult conversation with someone on their team and it went really well. And I could just hear it in her voice. Like she went from being a therapist to being a leader and I could just hear the ownership and in, in how she kind of, um, gauged the conversation and how she powered through the difficult conversations that they had and, and topics and, and came out in the end, like they were both in a really good place and it, it brought them together. And so those things are huge wins for me. And I've discovered how much I love that. Yeah. If you could talk to maybe someone that's maybe in college right now, mm -hmm. that's thinking about getting to the therapy field. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. what kind of advice do you think you'd probably give to that person from all the, the years that you've picked up, all that knowledge that you've, you've mm-hmm. learned and accumulated? I would say um, follow the trends. Like, we haven't really gotten into it, but one of the things that uh, we, we've done in, in our company is, is look at the trends of early intervention and what's happening and, and look at where our field is going because the field grow, goes so fast and changes so rapidly um, that knowing where the field's going to go two years from now, five years from now, ten years from now is really going to help guide your decisions in terms of who you want to work with, what that's going to look like, and, and getting in early. Um, so the kind of is the segue into, you know, just this 2019, yeah. the, we had to do something in January, right? So um, we decided since, you know, what we do is empower parents and caregivers, we go into the family's home, what's holding us back from providing this approach via teletherapy? And so we did a pilot program and um, launched our teletherapy program in the summer of 2019. And it's been amazing since then just watching and seeing you know giving giving our therapists um other opportunities in their career right so I always tell my therapist like you know I'm 36 and I know I can't go into a family's home every day for the next 20 years and sit on the floor and and play with the child like it's just it's hard on us and there's a lot of burnout right so I wanted to create another avenue of servicing this population for our therapists and trying to like avoid that burnout that that they're probably going to hit and so that's allowing them to work from home one two three days out of the week if that's what they want to do do you do you see your company getting to the point where there'll be like interaction in videos like that like where you'll have like educational videos i guess for parents like that yeah 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 um I don't want to okay. give too much away <laughs> too soon, but we're definitely looking at some really cool, innovative apps that um, are going to allow families to upload videos and allow us to provide feedback, almost like a news feed yeah. of like, you know, let's say you have a little one and you're having trouble getting him to eat a variety of foods. You would take a video of what that looked like, and then we would be able to provide feedback on this app and, you know, essentially like bill for it and... Yeah. Talking about knowing the trends and where things are going, how much has the knowledge of how a, a child grows in their speech, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. has that changed over the last 5, 10, 15 years? Like, yeah, it's a good question. Um, so the model of early intervention has changed a lot. Um, back in the 90s, what was happening was you would bring your child who isn't talking to a clinic setting. And then what they discovered is like, this really isn't the most effective, you know, for an 18 month old who, you know, is going to walk into a brand new place. And, you know, for an 18 month old, you could go to a brand new place once a week, every week, and it's brand new every time, right? It takes them a long time to get used to new settings, um, new therapists, things like that. So they said, what really should be happening is this child should be receiving therapy in their most natural environment, which is their home. So then in the early 2000s, the, the model kind of moved to the home environment. But what's been happening from 2000 to really now is the therapists are just throwing the toys in a bag that they were using at the clinic and they're bringing it to the child's home. Hmm. So essentially they're just bringing the clinic to the family's home. And then what's happening is 
you're taking the toys with you when you leave. So what's happening? The parents are not able to provide the carryover. If you're teaching them, you know, how to say certain words with the toys that you brought in, and then you're, t- then you're removing it. Um, so what we're finding now is that the most effective method of therapy is using the child's actual environment. So their toys, their snacks, their stairs, their utensils, whatever that might be. Um, And then again, looking ahead, so that's where we are right now, but then looking ahead, we know that um, we're not able to service a lot of families using this approach because they live in extremely rural environments. Um, They might speak another language and not be able to get a therapist who speaks that language. The child might be immunocompromised, meaning, you know, they can't be exposed to a lot of germs for health reasons. Therefore, a therapist who's working with 20 other children who are very germy coming into that home could compromise that child's health. Um, So this population is not getting served. So by providing teletherapy, I think we're kind of looking five years down the road, 10 years down the road to to what early intervention could potentially look like. Does it make, so that kind of, does that product of being remote allow more flexibility on pricing? Or is it fairly? To is, a degree, we're kind of fixed because we do contract with insurance companies yeah. in the state, but our private, yeah, it does allow us to kind of adjust for private pay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, do you ever feel that, I mean, and I don't even know if it came through. I remember seeing something that they were talking about remote doctors where they're uh-huh. going to have like the robots and do that kind of stuff. Would that, do you think there's the ability for something like that to happen to your field? Um, I don't know. I'm not totally schooled on what, like the remote doc, the robot. Well, so, well, yeah, they, well, so they, there was one where it was, it was like, you can have, um, cutting open a grape or something like that and just doing the skin, but it was with a, a robot. And so someone else was like using joysticks. And so I remember this this idea, I think it was like six years ago, where they were saying that <laughs> one day we might get to the point where we're going to have people in like India oh my controlling the, the robot doctors. I don't know what oh, kind of man. legality of that yeah. kind of stuff would be. But I mean, if, do you ever look at, like I know in the real estate field, there's AI that's kind of one of the, the big presence that wow. we're looking at yeah. in the next couple of years. Yeah. I wonder, is there anything that you think that in, in your field that could be kind of attacking it or... Um. Gosh, that would be scary. <laughs> we would have a lot of children talking like robots. Um, that would be scary. Uh, I, I think that because our our occupation requires so much of that social communication mm. piece that we would probably be... It'd be hard. To, it would be very difficult. Yeah. I, I'm finding like even the teletherapy piece is difficult for people sort of to grasp because it feels so different from what's been done for so long, which is like that in-person, face-to-face communication. Yeah. Um, and so we are tr- having to, you know, try to show people that you can still develop just as much of a trusting relationship between the parent and the therapist yeah. via teletherapy that you can in person. One of the ways is we're doing that is actually by being in home one day of the week and then teletherapy one day of the week for our local families. Okay. And that seems like that's kind of bridging that gap. So to answer your question, I feel like... Um, what, what about the, the families that maybe aren't local that mm-hmm, are out of area? Mm-hmm. What's what's the avenue? Is there something that you're thinking about in the future to bring that same feeling of 
that you're doing locally? I mean, yeah. That's kind of tough so to what, do. what we're doing with our Northern California families yeah. is we have a, a we do have a therapist up there yeah. who is going into the home initially to provide the initial evaluation, and then she's kind of just the point of contact for the family if okay. they're feeling like they need someone to co- go into the home. But we are so confident with our approach yeah. that we know we can still be just as effective via teletherapy. But again, it's just helping families kind of um, warm up to this kind of progressive, innovative method of delivery. And in order to meet them where they're at, giving them a point of contact, someone who's been to the home, I think just lessens the fears and anxieties about a new approach. How does the information get passed to pass? Is it just like a a database where for each individual, this is what we did today, or is there videos? Like, so for that, where there's two people touching like someone in Northern California, how does, does that work? Yeah. Do they just kind of read up and kind of see what's going on? Yeah, so we have a lot of different platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we have a different platform for everything that we do, <laughs> but and so hopefully one day we'll have something a little bit more um, comprehensive. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but right now, yeah, we have a platform just for our teletherapy where parents can upload videos if they want. Um, that's also where they join the session. So it's a live session between us and the parents. Um, and we can do a little bit of like video sharing, screen sharing, things like that right now. Yeah. So if someone's looking uh, for your help or looking, what's the best avenue for them to reach out to you or your company? Um, definitely check out our website, okay. which is www.rltherapygroup.com. Um, and check out the videos. We have some awesome videos um, just really that does a beautiful job just illustrating exactly what we do and what it looks like to work with us. Um, and then, you know, email or call all the contact information is right there. And we'll have that in the description here. I would love cool. one last question to just finish it off. Sure. It doesn't have to be necessarily in your field, but for any entrepreneur, business owner out there, mm-hmm. what's a piece of advice that you've kind of learned just starting your business? I know you didn't really take a lot of classes in it, so you kind of picked it up as you you've yeah. gone. Yeah. Is there anything that... Um, when I when I mentor new uh, people in the field of private practice, the biggest thing I, I teach them and I tell them to do is every decision you make and every system you create, make it scalable. So like whatever you're doing, do it envisioning 60 therapists, not for one. So will it be efficient? Will it be, you know, um, remote friendly for your therapist who might not be in under your roof um and does it work for a lot of people or just one um and basically everything i do at this point is is scalable because it just makes your life so much easier (laughs) i love that idea well well, hopefully everyone listening got some great information thank you ryan for being on the podcast again it it took us a couple weeks but (laughs) i think it was well worth the wait um again if you has have any children, have any family or friends that are looking for a speech pathologist, um, please reach out to Ryan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been so fun. Thank you, guys. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.